0: Runs, the comics podcast with all the sexual chemistry of a troubled boy and his stepmother <laughs> <laughs> um things have taken a dark turn I feel like. <laughs> in the book or in the world yes. in life <laughs> the world's fine right sure has it taken a darker turn I don't know if I'd go so far as all that. I feel like mostly Last of the Innocent is, like, (laughs) Well, Last of the Innocent, yeah, Last of the Innocent is, I mean, the Archie of it all really, I feel like, (laughs) amplifies how dark it is, but I don't think it's necessarily more dark than, say, for example, Bad Night or The Sinners. Sure. I guess mainly it's, like, it surprised me, I guess it's only because it's how our episodes are separated that it feels like it's like this is part two because when does this come out? Like 2011, 2012, I think um, it comes out, but it is like a kind of a part two. They take a lengthy ish break and then they put out last of the innocent. And then in between that and the other stuff icon like closes its doors So then they move the stuff over to image because they now have the image exclusive deal. So they do two specials, one of which is like right before the 10th anniversary. And then one of which is for the 10th anniversary. Those are in 2014 and 15, I want to say. And then my heroes have always been junkies comes out in 2018 and the new like run starts in 2019. Right. So there, but there is like, so, Last of the Innocent is 2011, and The Sinners is 2010, or at least it comes out in a trade in 2010. So, yes. there, So, it is, like, that is, like, the last of the icon stuff. So, maybe we should have separated there, but then we would have had to read a lot of comics last week. <laughs> um yes. But, yeah, like, Last of the Innocent, it just feels like such a departure. I guess because the main character is, like, not really a criminal in the same way that we have sort of come to expect from the book yeah it is it is interesting that like the sinners leaves everything with not a cliffhanger exactly but it does feel like you know curtains on act one of like criminal and like next we're gonna see you know what what lies ahead for like center city as a new regime comes in and like what's gonna happen to to Tracy Lawless and all that stuff. And then instead, when they come back, it's like, Hey, uh, here's this guy you've never seen before. <laughs> let's, let's find out about what his whole deal is. Right. And like, is really only very tangentially related to anything else. Yeah. And any other books. It I think what stands out to me is that these ones start to become a lot more like personal, I guess. Like it's, it seems much clearer to me what the sort of like relationship is or what the impetus is for all of the stories that kind of come out. Whereas before it felt more so like the impetus was like, I want to make a really good crime comic. He talks a lot more about each of these stories, kind of like last of the innocent, the like inciting incident is that the guy's dad dies and he wrote it as a way of like processing his own dad's death. And then the like, you know, the two specials start to wade into like the comic book (laughs) <laughs> metanarrative sure. of it all um and like he starts to use ricky as more of like kind of a character for writing about his own like youth which becomes a much bigger thing through like cruel summer which is the big chunk of like the big overarching story of the last sort of stretch and then you have right. you know you have like um bad weekend which is a comic con story so obviously that's full of you know that he's just, like, talking shop the whole time. And then My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies is about, like, his own history of substance use and, like, his his memories of going to AA meetings with his mom. So, it's, like, if if it feels darker, I feel like there's an element in which it's, like, also because it kind of feels realer. Where, like, the right. crimes, like... Because he bounced around in genres a bit more, you could get like you had some that were very grounded and then you had others that were very kind of like elevated and even like almost a little wacky at times. Like Bad Night is like kind of wacky, <laughs> I would right. even go so far as to say. And even the ones that were more grounded had a bit more of a kind of like adventure feel to them at times, I guess you might say. Whereas I feel like these ones are all just sort of like tragedies at some level. Yeah, and I almost feel like the adventure feel... We're talking about Criminal, also. Mm-hmm. Uh, our mini-series on Ed Brubaker. This is the second part of the Criminal run, covering The Last of the Innocent, uh, the Wrong Place, wrong, wrong Time, Wrong Place, Trade Paperback, which has the two specials that you talked about, uh, the My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies graphic novella, and then Criminal, Volume 3, which is the 12 issues, which also, like, basically includes The Bad Weekend, which was also republished as a graphic novella. Yeah. And Cruel Summer. And Cruel Summer. Kanye or Taylor Cruel Summer, which do you prefer? I know you're a big fan of Lamborghini Mercy. I am a big fan of Lamborghini Mercy. (laughs) Um, That's from the album Cruel Summer, which is like a Kanye West his label put out like a compilation album well let me make one thing perfectly clear and let me just okay mike is on levels are good i do not support kanye west <laughs> his ideas or his beliefs uh-huh. so you're taking a reverse Kyrie irving stance uh yes um i'm not i'm not familiar with cruel summer to uh, say whether i prefer kanye or taylor <laughs> Or what about a uh, Banana I believe it is. You know that song. It's like do 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 I know that, like that one. That's lylophone. like ring 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 ring. Uh huh. Wow. Not even going it. <laughs> okay. Moving on. And also, I wanted to mention the in the wrong time, wrong place trade. He talks about like, t- like with the scene where Teague Lawless is talking about. His Vietnam experiences, he says basically that that's like the most personal thing he's ever written or at least the most personal thing in criminal he's written because his dad, I assume, would talk about like Vietnam stories. Yes. Yeah, that that is something that comes up. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like a book that really increasingly over time he came to use as like almost a sort of like therapeutic um like artistic expression because starting around the time of Bad Night it feels like every like foreword or afterward i read he's like at the time this was the most personal story i had like ever <laughs> written <laughs> about right. like every criminal story <laughs> for for a stretch there for a while so yeah it's it, it does become suddenly like a very personal book for him it seems like Right. And I think the other thing you're talking about with it, like, feeling like an adventure, is because a lot of times, or basically all the time, it's kind of structured in the same way that, like, a Parker would be. It's structured around a job. Mm -hmm. Whereas this one, you know, like, ostensibly Last of the Innocent is structured around a quote-unquote job. Mm -hmm. But it's like, (laughs) we never really like the interactions with the underworld or like the sort of criminal element, the organized criminal element that we're used to seeing are very fleeting. Mm -hmm. We never really see that side of it or like get a sense of that side of it. Right. Because when he talks about like his motivations, it's never really to do with the money. No, uh, like T. Glawless, like briefly floats through a couple times. Sebastian Hyde makes like a perfunctory cameo. But other than that, yeah, it, it really is almost like a a separate story. Right. And, you know, it takes place in another city, introduces new characters. And I mm-hmm. think that, like, you know, that separation and, of course, like you said, the sort of tonal things that it's shooting for is what sort of makes it so impactful, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's true also, like, just in terms of thinking about, like, it being structured around a job i think there is a sort of like yeah a, a lack of that kind of like structure in a lot of these where it's either like a one or two part story so there's not really a job so much as there is like it, it gets like a little more slice of lifey if that makes sense and then like in one issue there will like a job will come together and be like pulled off and then it will just kind of like be over <laughs> Or even like my heroes have always been junkies. It's like we know pretty much that there is a job, but we don't really like know what it is or what the deal with, with it is until the very end. Yeah, yeah, and like the 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 finales also just feel like as the conclusions of the stories. Man, I guess they're maybe not that different, um, but they do feel a little bit more like. Abrupt is maybe not the right word, but some of them I like a, a cruel summer in particular. And um, I thought there was another one as well. But no, they're all they're all just so kind of like short. There there are just a few where it feels like it's just sort of like and that was it. <laughs> right. And almost it's, it's almost anticlimactic in a way, because with other stories, it's like the ultimate sort of ending is. You go to jail or you die. But then specifically, Glass like of the Innocents is like, you know, it's a classic sort of getting away with it is its own punishment kind mm-hmm. of Last mm-hmm. of the innocent, I should say. And with My Heroes, Boys and Junkies as well, it's like your plan goes off perfectly, but like it scars you internally mm-hmm. for life, like because of what you had to do. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's a. Uh... Like just a shift in focus, I guess, to different characters than you might have expected um, based on kind of the early run where like Tracy, do we see Tracy at all in this stretch? Other There's like a brief flashback in Cruel Summer. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So he's like off the table after having been, like we said, kind of like the main character of the first sort of stretch. Ricky Lawless, who was barely in the first stretch, is now like all over the place. Um, Yeah. Well, we barely even go back to that like time period. Yeah. In fact, in fact, we don't because I think there is this sort of dangling like it felt like the next part was going to be. Well, like this is also kind of the interesting thing about like the weird sort of gaps is that it didn't ever really feel like Criminal was over. But even like when you read him talking about coming back to Criminal, he talks about how it was like, it felt like Criminal was over. <laughs> right. It's like, when you read it, it really doesn't feel like it's over, which I think is part of why he can't really go back to that era, because there is kind of so much like, there's like such a big on-ramp to a story there that if you're not going to tell that story, it's sort of like, well, how do you go back To that time period again without establishing like that new status quo for Center City or whatever. And so instead, it's like a lot of stuff in the 80s um, and then like a flash forward to present day. Right. And and even then, it's like we're never we're not in the city for any of that as well. So that like we never... We haven't been back to, so I think I've established that there's Bay City and there's Center City. Right. Which I think, like, the idea is, like, Bay City is in the Bay Area, and then Center City is... uh... Is it supposed to be, like... Because it feels like Center City is supposed to be, like new york or chicago or something but bay city feels like it's supposed to be san francisco obviously but right they definitely are both in california i think that like gets established there's one part where i think someone's driving to center city and then you see like center city x miles sacramento right and they do talk a lot about san francisco i feel like or having lived in san francisco or stuff like that so i guess center city basically must just be la then but it's not LA. But it's like, not LA. <laughs> I think I think the idea is it's like Fresno, basically. Like, or like I think the idea is it's called Center City because it's like in the center of California, kind right. of close to close everything, close to Sacramento, close to the Bay Area. But then LA is kind of its own flavor, right? Fascinating, fascinating <laughs> stuff to be sure. Well. Shall we talk about these many, many stories? Sure, because there are, you know, once you get into the 2019 series, there are like, what, four or five different. Yeah, I mean, some of, some of those warrant more attention than others. Sure. <laughs> to, sure. to, you know, greater, greater and lesser extents. But sure. let's start with Last of the Innocent, which at the time I feel like was a sort of like capstone you could almost say to criminal as if to say like and now like out with a bang (laughs) here's like last of the innocent and we're gonna like kind of be done with criminal for a bit right which is so strange because like what like what i was saying before it feels like such a departure we don't really see any of the same characters like if something was to be seen as the capstone i feel like it would be the sinners which is like what we were just talking about Mm mm-hmm and then it's like to be like, and now to finish off, we're going to do so, like a completely different vibe with completely different characters. Like, it's so strange. Yeah, I mean. And it, then also like, it's apparently like the one that everyone loves. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would say it's the one that everyone loves. It's definitely like a big watershed. I think that the, you know, the, the genre play of it. Is the thing that people like really remember about it, and are like, oh, right. "Oh, that was like a funny, like you know, Archie deconstruction type thing," right? Which was, it feels like that was kind of going on a lot at that time. Because mm-hmm. what, like, when is the Vision mini series? Is that like around the same time, or does that come a little later? <laughs> that's a little later. Um, that's more like I want to say like twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen, right? Yeah. Well, never mind then. <laughs> well, but then also like so I just I just pulled up like the single issues to see what it says. And at the time, as they were wrapping up, Brubaker wrote, Sean and I both plan to keep doing this book for a long time. Our next project will be something new, and I hope you'll join in with us, blah, blah, blah. But like basically was like, we will be back with criminal again. And they did. <laughs> it just took a while. Right. But yeah, but it is the end of them like working on it regularly yeah. if- after like a five-year period of yeah, working and, on it pretty regularly. And and there was like kind of a tone of like, like when Criminal came back, nobody was like, who's asking for this? Or even like, huh, I never thought that they would like come back to Criminal again. But it w- I don't know, there was a sort of like, I sort of thought that you had given up on this because you haven't really like talked about it or done anything with it for a long time. And you've started to do... You know, it's your five other series and and like your shtick now it not your shtick, but like you're known now as like the crime guy. So like it seemed like you were done with criminal because it started so that you could like have an excuse to write crime comics. But now writing crime comics is like 90 percent of what you do. So. It was just kind of like interesting that it was like, oh, I guess I guess like you still want more criminal, which is great. I didn't really think that you did. (laughs) Right. Um, I will say that, you know, I was looking at like the letter columns and stuff for the single issues. And there are parts where it's like, like, I think in issue two or three he's like, of Last of the Innocent, he's like, issue one just came out and it's like unexpectedly getting rave reviews. <laughs> and then in the 2019, in the first issue, in the letters page, he like runs down all the books. Mm-hmm. And then he says, "In for Last of the Innocent, he says, probably everyone's favorite criminal story. Yeah, that's that's interesting. It definitely did get like a big buzz. I wonder if it's just because at that point he really was like, Ed Brubaker, like, you know, capital E, capital B, (laughs) 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 big man on campus, like at that, because like when Criminal comes out the first time, not that it's not celebrated or he's not like putting out great stuff, but he's like, you know, it's it's like he's on a real hot streak here with like Captain America, Daredevil, Iron Fist, Criminal, like he's he's really got it going on right now, which is like, you know, one level of of success. But when like Last of the Innocent comes out and he is pretty much wrapped up all of those other projects, he's now like, oh, like Ed Brubaker, like comics legend Ed Brubaker, genre like redefiner Ed Brubaker is going back to his like, you know, his crime opus um, passion project that has always been kind of like his his Huckleberry. And then it's really good. So I, I do wonder if it's just like, you know more eyes on it because he has that higher level of name recognition when he kind of like comes back to the table. Yeah, I think that's right because uh you know, we'll get to awards, but I think like my Heroes have always been Junkies receives a similar like outsized level of acclaim and attention. Mm-hmm. And I'm like this is good, but I mean I, I wouldn't put it in like my top 5 criminal stories, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, And there aren't a ton to choose from. So I'm like, it is a little surprising to me that that one specifically, like, gets that level of attention. Whereas Last of the Innocent, I am like, if it's not my favorite, then I certainly, like, see the case for it being anyone's favorite. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, those two are also, I would say, probably the two where Sean Phillips is the most kind of, like, going ham. Because Last of the Innocent has that, like you know, the, the like invoking Archie um, segments that let him kind of like stylistically flex his muscles a bit. And then my heroes have always been junkies because it's like coming straight to, you know, the hardcover collection, as it were, it's only like 76 pages. So it's not like this, you know, crazy thing, but he does have like, it's, it's not a monthly book. He does kind of have the time to sort of like put everything he wants to into it although he ran out of time to color it so (laughs) there's an element of that but it is it does have a very different look from any of the other criminal stuff up to that point yeah and i will say it doesn't really look like archie no i i don't find that it does look like archie um in terms of like the style that he uses for those segments, but the the characters are certainly like Archie archetypes. Um where like yeah. you've got you've got Riley Richards, is that his name? Mm-hmm. Is um is Archie and then Freak Out is Jughead. Felix Felicity is Veronica. Lizzie is Betty, and then um the guy whose name I can't Teddy. remember. Yeah, Teddy who he frames is Reggie. <laughs> and then they're like friend who becomes cop as moose moose. (laughs) yeah (laughs) like those those analogs are very clear but the art itself reminds me more of like richie rich or even like i think there's like a a splash of tintin in there as well sure um and i think they sort of explicitly reference richie rich as well and there's also the uh you know the little title panels like you you get like life with riley or like riley's gal pal right yeah, um, what did you think of the part where freak-out, chair still glued to his butt, <laughs> runs away from a swarm of bees <laughs> in the shape of an arrow? Well, I thought, duh, at least if he gets tired, he'll have a place to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> Truly for no one <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, we've explained that bit so we many times in so much detail. <laughs> that it's for all our listeners i'm sure um but yeah so we get this story which as we mentioned is really not a criminal story in terms of like taking place in the world of criminal other than that he occasionally drives through center city and there are basically cameos by other characters but it is the story of riley richards who was uh like the all-American boy he's kind of referred to several times, uh, an Archie-esque figure who's kind of good at everything and, uh, and life kind of seems to come to him easily. He marries uh, his like teenage sweetheart who is the Veronica style uh, wealthy socialite. Uh, He's given a place, a job in his father-in-law's company and kind of like has the, the easy life that he's always dreamed of. But It is long since unhappy in his marriage and then discovers that uh, his wife is cheating on him with his rival from their high school days. So he plots to uh, murder her and frame him uh, and does so quite effectively. But. You know, I guess, kind of like keeps leaving loose ends. You might say not for like lack of planning per se, but there's just kind yeah, of like he does pretty well. Yeah, he he do, and I mean, he gets away with it. Is like the end of the the end of it all. So like he does he does plan quite effectively, but I think a lot of it is about sort of like how you know once once you take that sort of like first step down the <laughs> the path of crime, it's like you either you either have to like. Now be a criminal or like go down for it, so to speak. Like you have to see it through or else go to jail. So he ends up having to arrange for Teddy to be murdered in his cell. He has to like basically murder his old best friend, freak out all in the pursuit of uh, the happiness that has so long eluded him from his childhood days. Yes. And sort of the idea that like, he is sort of further continuously going down this like dark path in order to try to recapture his innocence, I guess is sort of the dark irony of it. Yeah. Um, and, and like there is lots to say as well about, so like we've referenced these kind of like flashbacky sequences where in the style of a kind of classic kids comic, we will see scenes from, uh, Riley's, childhood, but it's often of him like stumbling around being like, wow, I'm really high, (laughs) like or or like, you know, having sex with his girlfriend or, you know, there's it's like it's it's lots of. Oh, yeah, I forgot about this one of Felix seeing her mother trying to smother her father with a pillow. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it's It's like like these very dark scenes, but done in. A very, like, kid comic style. Yeah. And the scenarios, I feel like, are often, like, the same type of scenarios that you will see presented in a kid's comic. And, you know, we sort of see that, like, later on with the wrong place, wrong time. We sort of Mm -hmm. get that. They talk about that a little bit. The idea of, like, the comic that's, like, written for kids... But like wants to feel adult, mm-hmm. and I guess this is just like showing the whole thing. Like, of course, if Archie is like hiding out from Mister Lodge, then it's like he's having sex with Veronica. Mm-hmm. I guess is uh, is what we are meant to understand. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of the like, you know, he has this nostalgic recollection that is prompted by being at home, seeing his old friends from the good old days, and and remembers these things as very kind of like shiny and happy and funny, even when the things that he is remembering are like kind of seedy or, <laughs> you know, dark or, or grim or what have you. But, uh, but yes, lots to say about kind of like the innocence of those days as it exists in his kind of memory and the, the lengths that he goes to to try and recapture it it's very like psychological in that way. I feel like the ending of this one really like kind of sticks it better than any of the other ones where he has killed everyone who like really knows what's going on, but like won the enmity of his father-in-law forever and has like a private eye who basically has like sworn a a sacred (laughs) vow to like bring him to justice. But in his head, he's like, I did it. Like we're free. We're in the clear. And you see his like, you know, the, the style of the art shift so that the present day is now rendered in the same sort of like squeaky clean style when it's him and uh, and Liz, who he has now married or they're they're just dating anyways. He's with Liz, but but the backgrounds continue to be rendered in the same like more realistic style. And so they're they're like these very squeaky clean characters, but they're walking through these like disgusting, grimy streets yeah, the ending. I think, like the whole last issue. I think is like really what it takes them, because like I, I really like the other stuff, but the yeah, the fact that it sort of like carries off the ending so successfully, mm-hmm. I think, is a big part of like what makes it probably. I, I think I would agree that it would be my favorite or the best or however you want to uh to characterize it. Mm-hmm. Like especially the idea that it's like he you know, and we talked about, I think we talked about Mad Men last week, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it is sort of like Mad Men-esque that it's like the, all the people who ever knew the real me, like are dead. like that's what he sort of has to, mm-hmm. has to orchestrate. Right. And, and yet that is like what lets him kind of, he thinks that that is what's going to let him become the person that he has always sort of wanted to be and, uh, and have the life that, he has always wanted to have, but um, yeah, the the sequence where he kills Freakout is just like master class, yeah, that's crazy. It's um, I feel stuff. like we say that a lot, <laughs> just like all I mean, all, the Freakout stuff works the best for me, where in so far as like I, I don't know, it's like we watch people like kill each other in these comics all the time, and that sort of like loses its. Uh, I guess sort of like moral shock where it's like, yeah, this mm. the, like, these comics are all about people who like will kill other people at the drop of a hat. And it's sort of like a, it's not personal. It's just business thing with them always. So to have like this character who is like freak out is my best friend and he always has been. And now I'm going to like push him off the wagon to give me an alibi and then take advantage of that fact later on to like get him to kill himself basically is like so much more evil <laughs> than like yeah. other stuff that we see happen in the books because it is so like personal and so like I know exactly how like wrong this is and like how much I don't want to do it and I'm going to do it anyways because I have like looked in the mirror and determined that at the end of the day I want to have this like new life even if that means that like freak out has to be dead yeah, and and I also like I feel like it also is the best stuff in terms of sort of showing the rose-colored glasses of it all because it's like it mm-hmm. is like that character like being the obvious Jughead analogy and like mm-hmm. Jughead being one of I guess the more interesting characters in <laughs> Archie is helped by that but like I, I think like it best sort of illustrates the dichotomy that it's like yeah like being high junkhead was never high of course no he Um, was just sleepy he just had his eyes closed (laughs) but being high all the time and like eating a bunch of food is funnier when you're 16 than it is when you're like 30 Mm -hmm. and i feel like it sort of like he is the his stuff is the best at sort of illustrating like the darkness underneath it yeah certainly Certainly, certainly. So I guess, um, like the Richie Rich reference is, uh, the like rival businessman to his father-in-law. What's that guy's like, Gary Gordy Gold? Right. Uh, is uh is the Richie Rich analog who comes in and buys his shares of his father-in-law's company to orchestrate the hostile takeover that is his sort of like revenge play on him for hiring the private investigator, but. Yeah, it is, it is a very unique entry into the criminal canon, I guess. I think the stuff like the stuff about his father being like kind of the thing that kicks it off is interesting as well, because it's yeah, I, I, I'm like, it is very interesting to me that he, he sort of writes this as part of his way of kind of processing his dad's death. And yet his dad, like Riley's dad in the story, is not really like a huge figure. Like his death is sort of the the thing that like sets the chain of events in motion because he goes home and is like, oh, yeah, it's so good to be home. But he doesn't feature like super prominently. Right. Yeah. But he never, I guess only a couple times early on, he sort of get like little glimpses of the dad and i guess like maybe the way he characterizes the dad he's probably sort of drawing from his own dad because the dad does like sort of have a a pretty specific character and like way about him yeah the while well, the dad <laughs> the dad is also kind of like weirdly sinister which i mean is is yes that's that's the first I think that that, there's some narrative function to that because the flashback scene with the dad is the first time we go into, like, Life of Riley. And, you know, I think it is establishing the sort of, like, dark undercurrent of all of those sequences, both in terms of, like, the very first thought bubble being I shouldn't have smoked that last joint with Freakout, but then, like, the way the dad is drawn as well to be kind of, like... He's, he's delivering like the punchline for the strip, quote unquote, but also is drawn in such a way as to make it seem so like threatening that it's it's sort of like this is what these kind of flashback sequences are going to be about with this surface level, very kind of childlike tone or veneer to it. But there is a sort of inherent darkness that underlies it all. Yeah. And I guess like, you know, his dad is almost maybe sort of the representative of like the old days. Like we only Mm -hmm. ever see him for basically one panel where he calls him slugger Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's like, he doesn't even seem sick. And then basically immediately after that he dies. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's interesting. Like it is, it is less about and his dad or anything to do with his dad than it is him coming home to his hometown. Yeah. Although I do think that like, it's probably tied into some of that, like, you know, thinking about, you know, memories of his dad and then thinking about like memories of his childhood and then like having opportunities to be kind of like, well, you know, it wasn't like this idyllic childhood. <laughs> like there was kind of plenty of mischief that uh, that was gotten up to and, you know, These the like things like going to AA meetings with his mom and, uh, you know, the the sort of life of juvenile crime that we've alluded to previously, like I can definitely see all of that stuff going in. So I do wonder if there's an element as well of it just being like, well, it was like my dad dying that kind of made me start thinking about these things. So why don't I just like start the comic with the main character's dad dying as well? Because if I want him to be like pining for those days. It certainly, like, worked for me to sort of, like, send me on that that train of thought. Right. And then he decides he has to kill his wife. Then he... D- yeah, so... I don't know. If anyone has heard from Ed's wife lately, that <laughs> would maybe be good to just let us know. Um, yeah, the the... <laughs> backstory revelation that the serial killer who haunted the town of Brookside was like the Mr. Weatherby equivalent who murdered Miss Grundy's <laughs> husband to like conceal their affair and let them live like a life of freedom that's very good stuff all as well <laughs> um yeah i don't know i'm i am there like there's a part of me that's sort of like i wonder if we'll ever see any of these characters again because you know The most recent volume has wrapped, but these characters are all sort of so distant and seem to have been pulled out because they, like, fill these analog roles so well. Right. The one character I was wondering about is the P.I. Yeah. He gets, like, a very specific introduction and kind of has his own sort of, not hero scene, but sort of Mm -hmm. scene where he is the, the focus and then gets, like, a uh, one-panel thing where he's like the name's Britt Black. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it may be that he's kind of like uh, a reference as well that we might just not be getting. But sure. I did wonder if like he might make a return in the second or the third volume, I guess it is, or like like when when the new like Dan Faraday gets brought in, I was kind That's of like, I, I wonder if this was just, like originally planned to be Brit Black, right? But then he's like. This guy's going to die. I don't want to kill Brit Black. And this guy needs to be like more of a nice guy type. Right. Exactly. Has has Pulp come out yet? Just has come out. It has. Yeah. I believe there has been one or maybe two volumes of that with more planned. Right. Oh, and then Reckless is that. Is that the one that you said you thought was maybe? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, I saw that same thing that I think you were talking about last episode where he was like, we're doing pulp and then I'm going to get started on like the next thing of criminal that I want to do. And so that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is also like this is the last thing he does before he signs the image exclusive deal with Sean Phillips and then basically like leaves not basically leaves corporate comics behind (laughs) forever so I also do wonder about maybe his schedule becoming a little bit more difficult to manage because creator-owned series tend to involve more work. And so to switch his whole workload over to creator-owned stuff, it might just be harder to you know, keep all those balls in the air and get to those things in the same time that you might have originally planned to. And of course, he also becomes a lot more active as a TV writer around this time as well. Right. All, all my tool deeds know this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's not forget that he was also a writer on season two of Westworld. Sure. The season everyone loves. <laughs> yes, that's the one. <laughs> uh, he was also the Winter Soldier's handler. Uh, anyways. <laughs> oh, he's no, he's like a scientist in one of those like right. scenes. He's like there wearing like a lab coat and like, I don't know, sticking a needle in his eye or something. At any rate, is there anything else we want to say about the last of the Innocents? Just that it's the last of the innocent singular. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't. It's it, it's it's great stuff. Like, yeah, I I mean, in terms of like rating the stories themselves, I don't know that I would have put it as like a number one favorite. It you should it, do that also at the end. I'm gonna start making a list. <laughs> it um it went down smoother this time. I remember at the con- at the t- like originally when I was reading it as it was coming out, feeling like the kids' comic scenes were like kind of sticky and mm-hmm. unsubtle. and the fact like that everyone was family? like, "Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Dijonay's boyfriend, <laughs> yes, um, sticky." <laughs> I I just like felt. At the time, everyone was just so like, oh, man, he took Archie and made it dark. Dark, dark. But like, it's it's like, you know, undercurrent dark. And I I was just sort of like, it's not like that. It's pretty overcurrent. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's just like it's not subtly done, which I think is the point. And there was just so much emphasis on that part of it, which I was kind of like, that's like the least interesting part (laughs) of the story to me. Uh, so like to to hear it like being spoken of as he kind of like remarks upon as sort of like the best criminal thing yet. And I was just at like had to, I had like, you know, reread a lot of them as it was kind of being announced and coming up. I was just sort of like, I don't really feel that this stands like head and shoulders above the other criminal stuff to me. And I still don't think that it stands like head and shoulders above the other criminal stuff to me. But without sort of like. The, the active discourse about like the, the Archie comics elements and like, or, or you know, however you want to characterize those comic like flashback sequences. They did go down smoother. It was easier to kind of like appreciate them for what they were without <laughs> feeling like everybody was trying to be like, yo, get it? The principal is Mr. Weatherby. Right. Can you believe it? He's braining that guy with a frying pan. Right. And I also think that, you know, this is also maybe the one that is most accessible, right? Because mm-hmm. this is the one that's not like very much not a like Noari like it is Noari, but in a different way. It's like you mm-hmm. know, he talks about double indemnity. Like it's Noari in those classic sort of like femme fat- not femme fatale, but Kind of like relationship drama <laughs> thriller yeah, yeah, kind of things, which is like a very like 40s and 50s kind of concept. I yeah, think, like, like the romantic well. betrayal, like it's like erotic thriller to an extent, except because it's like a husband wife revenge movie. Like it would normally be or I feel like a lot of those movies are more so like, you know, the P.I. is hired before she dies and they have an affair and then he has to save her from the murderous husband. Like there's a, there's definitely a lot of those out there that are yeah, more that's sort kind of like, like the, I feel like that's like the sort of more modern successor to those kind of like forties and fifties movies. It's like the nineties erotic thriller, mm-hmm. fatal attraction, basic instinct, the game right. kind of thing. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I do think that this is more sort of like, I guess recognizable in some ways to uh, a more broad audience than something like bad night, a famously weird <laughs> story. Sure. But or yeah, yeah, Even lawless, then which I'm like, is like lawless, I think is accessible to the right person. Yeah. But I don't think the average person, like I don't think just like Joe random, I don't think you can really just recommend lawless to them. Whereas Lost loss of the innocent is like, it's dark but it's also like a very sort of fully fleshed out Mm -hmm. sort of character study more than it is a crime story. Right. There is sort of an element to criminal element. Yes. There's sort of a criminal element where like, Lawless might hit really well for someone if <laughs> they were like, "Heat is the best movie I've ever right. seen." You could be like, "Well, <laughs> in that case, like, let me hand you this." Whereas this is like a little bit more like you don't necessarily need to have. But it, it then there's like the whole like the Archie of it all is kind of like a thing where I'm like, "Well, I wouldn't ever really not that Archie is like you know this underground thing." Where like nobody's gonna get it, but I would kind of be like, I don't know if I want to necessarily give this to a person who's not already like a comics person and be like engage with this like right. weird meta narrative device that is like so comics but I feel particular. Like, but I feel like just from the style alone, someone will understand the idea. Yeah, like I mean, there is a certain like kind of Pleasantville to it for sure. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but yeah, it's it's certainly very good stuff it was a uh, a triumph when uh, it came out and has endured for sure as one of the more noteworthy uh, criminal stories sure so do we want to jump to wrong time wrong place let's do just that so these are two specials that are loosely related yeah i think i think related like they've sort of similar th- Thematic elements. Yeah. The, and they take place like during the same sort of time period or on the same trip, I guess. Um, I guess they do like directly follow each other. I don't think I even really realized that like they were meant to follow each other directly plot wise as well. Because I already had it because you talked about it being like there's these two specials and they were later collected as the trade paperback. And so. I I always thought of it as, like, these are two different comics, but they are really, like, more closely connected than I thought, I think. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know that they flow out of each other, like, completely flawlessly. I'm trying to remind myself where. Because the first one ends with, um... It's, like, he, like, gets the kid the comic, and they, like, get basically, like... He gets, uh... The comic, and then it just cuts to like they're on the road. Well, yeah, they're they're still in the um, they're still in the city though because they're like yeah. waiting. I guess I guess he's like waiting to see, he's waiting to see a prison guard, right? Like Teague, Teague has like staked it out to be like, where's this? Where's this prison guard at? And I'm like, but I guess. <sighs> I guess that is a like follow up on the like he's been he's been broken out or not broken out. He's been his release has been arranged so that he can do the job that unfolds in the second special, which is not that's not totally true because there's a part in the second one that says a week ago, my dad got a phone call during dinner. And that's like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Starting point for that one. But it's you know i think they're sort of even if they're not directly plot connected they sort of can flow into each other in that way yeah certainly but yes so we get uh the first one is a tegan prison story with a uh savage sword freaking sarah or tegan (laughs) i disengage i repeat disengage we are getting a savage sort of Zangar comic here as well. By this sword, I live. With the sword IV. With the sword <laughs> IV live. Uh, this is, of course, adapted from uh, an Alfred Ravenscroft story and i shudder to tell you (laughs) keep that name in mind we will be hearing from alfred ravenscroft again in this miniseries but not in criminal (laughs) Uh, i hate this freaking guy (laughs) Uh, but yes uh, a conan style parody the thing that makes me maddest about um my my deluxe edition that includes these stories is that that as i was reading this what does it unstain the pages? No, it doesn't unstain the pages. It's that as I was reading this, I was like, "This is extra funny because the Conan parody is also like a hunt, like it's the hunter. He's doing the hunter if it was Conan, and I'm like, this is funny. That's like a funny joke to do. And then at the back in the extras where he has story notes, he writes that like it's uh, an adaptation of Payback, which is like the Lee Marvin adaptation of the Hunter. And then he's like, no one has ever noticed this. And I was like, no! (laughs) (laughs) If you just hadn't said it, I would have been the smartest person to ever live. And now you've ruined it. (laughs) It does. (laughs) We've talked about this several times, I feel like. But it is really annoying when you notice something and then you go to the back and they're like, I was actually doing this. I don't know if you noticed. (laughs) And I was like, dude, but don't you said it so now people don't know that I'm the... Yeah, it was um, it was like when he kills his lover, I was like, oh, he's doing the hunter (laughs) because like like the whole like we did a job together. I was left for dead and then he goes back and uh, and he like, yeah, confronts his lover and she's like, oh, no, you don't understand. They made me do it. I was like, aha. But uh, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. That stuff is all so both of these have these like comic within the comic elements, which uh, their direct relationship to the stories themselves. I'm like, is there one or is this kind of like just for fun? It's a bit of a Frank Kafka. (laughs) It's like, yeah, like, I guess this is related. Like Frank Kafka. Mostly it seems like you're just enjoying doing this. It, It does. It seems more like a, like, We're already in a book that is, like, a celebration of, like, pulp genre, like, schlock, basically. So, why don't I do, like, another fun send-up of a few other genres of pulp schlock? Right. Pulp schlock. That's a good character name. Sure. So, we have Teague. He's in prison uh, for a month for... It's, like, failure to appear, right? Right. He He gets in a bar fight. He has pulled a job... And gets in a bar fight, but then is ultimately booked for like failure to appear in traffic court, which is sort of like the irony of it. Yeah. So he's in jail for 30 days when uh, he learns that. Uh, bounty has been put on his head and he doesn't know by whom and it's communicated to him that it's not from Sebastian Hyde but he is mad at him for getting arrested (laughs) again um and so he's supposed to be pulling a job for Sebastian Hyde yes so he is not going to protect him and it's sort of a like gauntlet I guess there is a sort of like Conan-y type thing or or like a, a barbarian, you know, sort of story in that where it's like one like versus one hundred kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Like you're you're on your own and it's like a trial a trial by combat or like a gauntlet that you must now like walk through, and if you can like emerge from this door on the other side still alive, then like you will have been declared innocent, basically, and you can resume your uh your old life. So Right. And you know we have seen an Ed Brubaker story where a character is put in prison and forced to like survive. Also, we have I just yes. wanted to mention, we certainly have, and so he uh, he does survive for some time until he gets word that, as we mentioned, he's being released early because Mister Hyde needs him for another job. So he's pulling the strings, but everyone's going to take their kind of last swing. He gets dosed with acid, which is a fun little sequence. Um, and ultimately, I guess it's not in that part. At one point he uses, uh, his issue of savage sword to kill somebody, which is good. But the librarian who is a fellow, uh, Xanar connoisseur <laughs> tells a, a crafty lie to save his life and gives him a place to like wait it out until he can, uh, walk from the prison a free man at which point he goes to collect his share of the job that was pulled and discovers that of course his partner has used it to pay off old debts and is the one who put the price on his head uh, in hopes that he would die before getting out of jail to find that his portion has been taken. good yeah i mean like this is (laughs) like this is certainly like it is quite slight i will say yeah and like doesn't really i feel like have an ending that sort of stands on its own merit. Like the the librarian thing is very Shawshank, I feel like. Yeah. It's it's tough like these um the the like deluxe editions that they put out collect a lot of not a lot of but several like criminal shorts basically that appeared in like dark horse anthologies and things like that that are like, like 4 pages or 6 out. pages. Um no no it's like short stories that were put into these oh apologies. short stories what did you think i said criminal shorts okay like the butt is cut out uh-huh. decent exposure yeah got it so i have i've seen them do like <laughs> if there's the one only thing i can think of uh-huh. for criminal shorts the butt would be cut out there is one in one of these collections which is like the darkest of the stories i think that i encountered in there which tells it spends two pages on the lover the wife and the husband and so the lover is like this man you know meets this femme fatale type uh he can't control his horniness for her they have a torrid night together the wife is her laying out how like she tells him about how her husband oh she reveals that she's married. She tells him about how her like husband is abusing her and they like conspire to kill him. And then the husband section is like, and of course, I have a cuck fetish. And so I'm in the closet while they <laughs> while they like have sex and plot my murder, which gets me off. And then uh, when they come to try and murder me, I'm waiting for them and I trap them. And then they have to watch me have sex with my wife and then we kill him. <laughs> it's like uh, insanely wild, insanely dark. But it is like kind of, it sort of illustrates to me that it, where it's like, if you're going to go slight, you almost have to go like that slight where it's like six pages, just like lay it out, you know, over, over and done with kind of instantaneously. Or you do need kind of like a couple of issues to, you know, let things kind of unfold. Yeah. But I mean, like this is the the length of a couple of issues more or less. It's I like, guess what, it is 44 yeah. pages or something like that. Yeah. Um, I feel like I, you almost feel like there's something we're missing because you know the what's ostensibly like the emotional climax of the story is hit this conversation with the old man where he's like we're the real zangar fans <laughs> i'm like is that supposed to mean something to me like, like i i think it's metaphor? just i i think it's just like a step one of the sort of like humanizing of teague insert like i don't know if he's even necessarily thinking in terms of like well we have to do the big like cruel summer story which kind of relies on building some sympathy for Teague at some point right but it is kind of like step one down that path for this character who previously has only ever really been either like seen in his like full kind of monstrous glory or before that strictly like referenced by other characters to be like Oh, yeah. Remember Teague? Like, good thing for all of us that he's dead because he was, like, the craziest guy. <laughs> who, right. You know, we all hated and he was so dangerous and it's a good thing that he's dead. Right. And the whole thing is, like, you know, the like the reveal at the end is not, like, a shocking... Re- like, I, I was just like, oh, okay. No, yeah, it is. it is like a... I don't feel like crime often... A's? Goes for like a shock reveal like that, um, where you know there is like there is always kind of like a turn or a, a reveal of some kind. But because the whole like the genre is built on like oh like betrayal is in the air like you know you 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 expect that at some point somebody is going to like betray, and so I don't think anyone is ever like well it can't be this person because and it's and they sort of go they like outline this that it's like we don't know who it is and it's also not like the most obvious person it could be Mm -hmm. and you know i've talked about this many times before but the whole like thing where you set up a mystery and so it's either going to be like something you didn't expect or it's going to be something that you're just like oh okay hmm. Yeah. Like, I guess the thing about it is that it doesn't even necessarily feel like a mystery per se. It feels more like they just like remind us every so often. Right. Because they're like, yes, we are going true. to like resolve this plot point, not because they're like, who could it be? Right. Um, and, and I think that like the reaction that we're almost supposed to have is Teague's where when it's like oh, like, duh, it was just, like, his partner. Like, it was the simplest, most obvious explanation because, like, so much of crime comics are this sort of, like, cynical slash, like, almost nihilistic view of people where it's, like, at the end of the day, everybody, like, wants the same things, and when you push them hard enough, they are going to, like, act in their own self-interest. And so this, like, reveal, quote-unquote, being, like, The most obvious person did the most simple, obvious thing is like fatigue. It's not even a betrayal. It's just sort of like, oh, yeah, duh. Like, I guess it should have I should have like seen that coming. And then, yeah, I guess there isn't going through the necessary motions of (laughs) killing him. Yeah, there is a bit of an anti-climax to it where it's like, you know, it's like, oh, of course, he just wanted money. Like, Mm -hmm. that's there's. There's no greater scheme at play or anything like that. Like there is no big reveal. It's just like, oh, the guy who had the most to gain is the one that did it. <laughs> and also, you know, we sort of get it at the end with the con with the savage comic as well, the idea that it's like I just like kill wantonly and there's like nothing mm-hmm. to it, really. <laughs> the end of the Savage comic, of course, also has a letters page. <laughs> Would we love to see? Yeah, you didn't read the letters, and uh, I didn't written see in this. pain, so sh- written in awe. Is this? Uh, are you? Do you have the deluxe? I do have the deluxe. I, I, think I did assume that these were in have the special as well. Uh, okay, so uh, maybe. Well, maybe it's in the single issue. I was reading the trade. Yeah, it may. I'm sure it was in the single issue as well, but there is a part. um, So like the first page of the comic is like the title page as well of Sword of the Savage, which includes special thanks to Jerry Duggan, Kieran Gillen, Kurt Busick, Mike Drucker, Chip Zdarsky and Kelly Sue DeConnick all comics professionals uh, and their contribution is <laughs> letters to the sort of the savage uh, letters page, which is called written in pain, written in awe. So let me see here we have, and these are all like in the classic, like seventies, like letter hack fashion, which is funny because like Kurt Busick literally just signs his Kurt Busick with like his address from when his pub, like his letters used to get published all the time. So it's like a Lexington, Massachusetts address, (laughs) which is very good. Um, so Jerry Duggan complains about, uh, how the comic stereotypes people from Jireland, uh, and about the price of the comic going up. Kieran Gillen has, oh, <laughs> is playing a like Ravencroft, like continuity, <laughs> uh, police officer who is uh-huh. like, uh, the famous ant warriors wore simple conical helmets inspired by those worn in mid third century BC, though modified for the Romulans four antennae six for apex centurions, of course. <laughs> um, blah, 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 your artistic license that you like pleaded for this detail should be revoked. However, I have to give credit where credit is due. I was pleased to see the sliver armor of the silvered war concubine of Athlos was drawn directly from the original text, with proper attention paid to keywords like heaving and scant. <laughs> <laughs> the letter from Kurt Busick asks about if... Uh, zangar will ever meet any of the other ravenscroft characters who they have made comic adaptations of because he wants to know who would win in a fight zangar or Chewhawk of the hills <laughs> chip Zadarsky writing as melvin zadarski writes a long missive about how there is not enough female nudity fee dash male in all instances <laughs> nudity and that there's too many um subliminal images of penises and that uh, they are arousing him because it reminds him of what how you know, he gets aroused when he sees female nudity. So please, less of the penises and more female nudity. Sure. <laughs> uh, and Kelly Sue DeConnick writes in asking if uh, all of the uh, women warriors have to wear such scanty armor and if it would be possible for them to win a fight at some point. And then Ed Brubaker, like, writes as the editor in response to all of these letters, you know, in in classic fashion <laughs> to, to be like, you're going to love the next issue. Wait till you see how many, like, topless female warriors are in it. Right. So, yeah, that is a funny little thing that uh, if you're ever able to track it down, I highly recommend reading those letters. They are funny. So then we get Deadly Hands of Criminal... <laughs> Right. So those are like ostensibly the titles is the idea? Like are is that how they were titled on the original cover pages? No, cover? on like on the covers themselves. So the the like cover that you see to the comic in the issue is the cover of the comic itself as well. So they are like uh, done up sort of in that fashion, but they are like technically released as like Criminal Special Edition and Criminal 10th Anniversary Special. But they are often sort of like marketed as Savage Sword of Criminal and Deadly Hands of Criminal. Sure. Like that's how they're listed in like the contents of the book, even though that's not like what's on the cover of the issues. Right. That, that's probably the original titles of the stories, because in the in the trade, it literally just lists it as wrong time and wrong place. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, they are. They are originally titled well I' now see I'm not actually sure about that but so the like title page for deadly hands of criminal just says deadly hands because it is ostensibly again supposed to be like the title page of this comic that uh Ricky is reading wait so is it is it Ricky or is it Tracy as I always see now now you've got me wondering it is Tracy he, right but then he yeah, always it's... talks about... But then also like in the in in Lawless, it is Tracy in the other one because he specifically says Tracy. But then in the other one, he's always like he's like Ricky, like would always ride with my dad and I would like stay home with my mom. No, it's it's the reverse way around. Yeah, because he's like he has like thought about it specifically as like. If only right. Ricky had been a couple of years older, his feet could have reached the pedals, and then he could have gone with Dad and like had the, you know, right. built the relationship both that he of always them. wanted. Yeah, and I could have stayed home at Mom because I can handle her, and like Ricky can't. Right at Mom. <laughs> <laughs> so then, yes, we get this other one: deadly hands of criminal slash wrong place which is this, like, fun little road story. Uh, it's like with, a little little coming-of-age tale. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, with Tracy and Teague, where they go to this random town, basically because Teague Lawless is doing this job, which involves shooting a guy and burying him. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then Tracy's main thing is, like, he's he gets this comic from his dad that's about what's like a kung fu kind of superhero yeah it's like i don't really a know what they're doing a pastiche of really so it's like a con i think it's a combination of deadly hands of kung fu which usually had like shang chi and iron fist werewolf by night which you know you, you can gather but then, like, most of the sort of, like, story type elements and, like, character types are, like, basically just Spider-Man, including, like, like the shot of, uh, like, Fang's girlfriend or not girlfriend dancing at the club at her new job is, like, literally lifted from, like, a panel of they, like, all go to see Mary Jane at her new job as a dancer. And she's, like, wearing that exact same dress. And, like, the art is, like, a straight lift almost. <laughs> so it's, like... Just a combination of, like, several different Marvel, I think, especially kind of popular titles from, like, 1978. Right. Um, So he is, like, he, like, enjoys this comic for unclear reasons and then is, like, looking for another one and befriends this girl in the town. And they sort of have their, like, childhood adventures and he tries to sort of stop himself from becoming friends with her because Mm -hmm. like he has sort of been taught not to make friends because you know, their whole thing is about like not being remembered. Like that's sort of a a thread that gets brought up a few times throughout. And so then, you know, at the end it's like T does his job. He also kills this woman who Tracy like sort of has a crush on, I guess. Um, Yeah. I think that's what we're meant to take from it. Because he's like, don't hurt her. And well, because she, she was has nice. Sex with her and kills her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's more so just like she was nice. She showed like interest slash concern for him. Like he was trying to figure out how he was going to learn who she was without talking to her basically and then she like saw that he was looking like confused and showed concern for him and came over and talked to him and then he was like this is very different from how my dad interacts with me (laughs) right and then this girl gabby who is the friend she like gives him the other issue of the comic that he was looking for and also like leaves her dress so that they can be pen pals. And then it's sort of the ending is him sort of sadly tearing it up and throwing Mm -hmm. it down the drain and sort of not being allowed to form relationships. Yes. Very tragic. Very. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this one's this is just yeah, like this is just good. Like, I don't have a ton to say about it. Um, no, I don't either. It's very like um, it's kind of link latery. I feel like yeah, like I was gonna say like it's got a bit of a like Stand By Me vibe to me. Sure, in like up to and including the part where like the real grown up world kind of like intrudes back in, right? Uh, very, very kind of like abruptly in some ways. But other than that, yeah, it's it is just good. Brubaker made a remark about how if you like squint and tilt your head, you can see like the idea for killer be killed forming in the Fang comic, which I then subsequently like went and reread all the Fang stuff. And I was like, I really can't see it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't, I don't know exactly what you're, what you're trying to point at with that, but apparently it's there. So maybe we'll see it more clearly when uh, we get to killer be killed, but otherwise, yeah, good. Yeah, pretty much. I guess the reason it reminds me of Linklater is because the art style. Have you seen either of those Linklater like rotoscoped? No. Animation? I'll try and I'll show you find a screenshot for you of Apollo 10 and a half, but you'll see what I mean because it's like, you know, motion capture rotoscoped animation kind of thing. Oh, yeah. OK, I do see what you're yeah. talking about here. Yeah. yeah, that and it like having kids is sort of created that connection for me. Uh, But at any rate, there are those they're good, but also, you know, kind of not unremarkable exactly, but like, you know, they're just like, yep, good. I would. Yeah. It's, it's like, I didn't read these when they came out because they came out basically after the point when I had finished collecting uh, floppies. So I would have been waiting for them in trade. But I feel like if I had been, I would have just sort of felt like sort of like frustrated, I guess, and and been like, this is the first criminal we've gotten in a long time. And it's kind of like, why only one issue? Why are we giving it so much? Like, why are we surrendering so much of the space to these like pastiches? But to read them as part of like the cohesive whole They're nice, just sort of like breathers um, between the, between the eras. And I do think that the pastiche comics are funny and they seem like they had fun, like doing those sections. Right. Yeah. I mean, like there's not much to them necessarily, but also like there doesn't have to be a bunch much to them, I don't think. No. And it does. Yeah. It does just feel like, man, I remember like loving those comics as a kid. I'm going to do like. A little like funny take on those comics yeah Uh, and then we get a much more you know fleshed out novella uh, the My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies criminal novella which basically covers this character Ellie (laughs) um (laughs) (laughs) what's that that's like but her name's not Ellie okay sure it's not it's not that's true and she has, um she is in rehab. We don't really get like specifics as to who has put her there or why. So we, here's, a, here, Well, actually, maybe I'll save it for after you finish the synopsis. Yeah, Sorry, Let me, let me, uh, let me synopsize. Uh, we don't really know like what she's doing there or why exactly, but she seems to have a very like laissez faire opinion about drug addiction and rehab in general, like doesn't seem to be too too into it. Indeed you might even say that her heroes have always been junkies. yes, there's a lot of things about like her being into musicians and other cultural figures who were drug addicts and sort of opining about you know whether they were good because they were drug addicts basically <laughs> and she befriends this other guy Skip who's at the rehab with her. Uh, They sort of make these plans to run away together uh, and eventually do so. And then it's revealed at the end that actually... And, you know, we also see flashbacks to, like, her childhood, her relationship with her mother, things like that. And then we finally see at the very end this reveal that, in fact, her name is not Ellie. It is, what, Angela? Angela. It is, yeah. It's, of and course, Angie. Is, it's Greta's daughter. Yes, she is the daughter of Greta from uh, the original, very first Coward uh, storyline, who we last saw <laughs> bussing <laughs> tables, tables yeah, <laughs> at the undertow. Uh, and she is working for Chester, who is, uh, as we recall, is Sebastian Hyde's like old lieutenant who is, you know, apparently... Still Still lieutenanting, (laughs) yeah. I I kind of expected that he would be like the boss now, but he is still lieutenanting to someone. He does say at the end of the sinners that Sebastian Hyde's son is coming to town to like take over. Right, 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 right. And so yeah, and so and then and it's revealed that she did this job for Chester so that Leo, who is still in prison, will like have protection. Yes, his protection was revoked for some reason, and she brokered a deal wherein she would find this guy, um, and in return, his protection would be reinstated because he is Uncle Leo to her. Right. My two questions about this. I'll start mm-hmm. with the one that's more fun. When did you realize that it was Angie? Um, like the very end. <laughs> like, not I mean, when I she guess- was like. That week that I spent being kidnapped by the monster, right? Maybe it was that. I'm sort of paging through right now, trying to see exactly, uh, exactly when. But yeah, I guess there is that scene where she's like, "I was kidnapped for a week by this monster." But that's also like, his name quite was near Delron. The end, that is pretty close <laughs> to the end. Delron yeah, Hubbard. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because we know like what about halfway through that she is sort of like running a con? Uh, yeah, we know, I think it's after, or no, it's right before they leave. Is it that she sees the guys for the first time and is like, yes, it is. Yes. Um, right there. Yes. This scene where she talks about, she got kidnapped 10 years ago. She got taken hostage. He killed her mom, but this guy who loved her mom (laughs) saved her. I took care of her. So that was when I knew, yeah. But I never really like Well, because also like it never even occurred to me that there would be this like significant time jump in between. Right. Yeah, it is they do they do kind of keep you in the dark about when this all this all happened. But um I believe that I had put it together by the time she has like the flashback of her and um uh, Gnarly going to the motel because I was like, oh, that's Gnarly. Right. I think I clocked that, but didn't really think about how that character because I had kind of forgotten about her. And, you know, we'd already I think by that point, we've already seen Chester. And so mm-hmm. I was just sort of like, oh, like she is, you know, part of this. Right. This operation. Had we already seen Chester by that point? No, I'm like, no, maybe, maybe she not. here. Maybe it's around the same time. Yeah. Anyway, so that was it. That was one thing I was interested about. Also, so do we think like, is she actually addicted to anything or she's like strictly like, no, right? Like, she doesn't seem to me like she's ever even like taken heroin. No, but I think she does take drugs. She does. Yeah. No, I don't think she is like a junkie in the way that she is sort of like portraying it. Um, yeah, it, I, th- I feel like it's almost maybe more interesting if she like doesn't do drugs at all, but she does seem to like do some drugs. Well, yeah, it's it's hard to like toe the line of it being like because it, it does seem like a sort of natural thing to be like basically like drugs ruined my mom's life. But then it is also like a big thing for her to be like, with like basically artists who take heroin, like open their third eye and access the creative realm. <laughs> yeah. I, so. I think it. I think it's a really interesting idea that it's like, oh, she has this like very strange relationship with drugs because like, you know, she, so like, you know, her parents were both drug addicts. Right. And then, like, she has this relationship with these songs, which sort of also connect her with her family. And those are also connected to drug addiction. And so, it's interesting that, it's like, she has, you know, like the title says, all her heroes are junkies. Uh, And I think that's, like, a very interesting idea. But I feel like the logical sort of next step of that is, like, my heroes are junkies, but then I'm, like, not a junkie, weirdly. Right. And that's, which is, I think, is true. Mm-hmm. But that's like, but she does do drugs. She just doesn't abuse drugs necessarily. Right. She has not taken a tip from Rip, but she has not yet woken up with twenty years gone. Again, that's uh, for no. One. <laughs> that's for you, for you, for your very own. Um. So yeah, other than that, again. I don't have a lot to say about this other than that the art is really the main selling Mm -hmm. point for me. It's fun to see like Angie back. I do think that the like storytelling instinct to be like, I mean, it's been so long since we did coward that like if we jumped to present day, that kid would be like 18. Right. So I, I do like the instinct to like return to her. I think that's fun. But in terms of like the story itself, yeah, the the art is really the selling point for me. It yes. has this like pastelli it's it's really the colors, which are mostly done at this point by Jacob Phillips, Sean Phillips' son. Right. Yeah, and and the the palette and like the kind of almost like watercolor style is all very striking and and like it's so much brighter than other criminal books partly because of the setting but right and I think the idea I saw some review of it that sort of talks about the idea that it's like evoking romance comics and its aesthetic in a way that's interesting and just the idea that it's like the pastel of it all sort of belie like you know it's the same way that it's like she it's a literally like a rose colored glasses Mm -hmm. situation i mean i do think there's like kind of a psychedelia to all of it as well Mm -hmm. like it's almost as though the whole thing is like sort of like a trip in and of itself for her right yeah i guess her her drug is freaking crime and human connection if you think about it I do. Um, but yes, I, I agree that like I, I was surprised, like I said, when I found out that this was like one of the most acclaimed ones or criminal stories, because I was like, this is good. Like I enjoyed reading it, but it's not one I would necessarily go back and visit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do feel like for this one, you like, I guess you want it to be more of a twist when you find out who she is. Um, But I don't know how you do that. Like I did. I was kind of hoping that her like her betrayal would like carry a bit more of that surprise. And it really doesn't because they start seeding in. I mean, I guess they they sort of seed it very early that she's like not exactly being forthcoming with him or there's something that she wants from him. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't I, I don't know. I don't think you can make it work. In by doing that like I don't think I don't think it helps the story or the comic to hold that reveal yeah it just it is missing a bit of a punch for me when I agree she like goes back to the house and like wakes him up and is like now I'm very sorry but these men have to torture you (laughs) I agree there isn't really the same kind of like oh no like it's melancholy But I feel like when we get the like her that the panel where it's like half her face and then you can see Chester and the other guy like over her shoulder. I want that to be a moment where you're like, (gasps) right. Or I think another way to do it is just that like she has decided to like, you know, give it all up in the way that she talks about sometimes Mm -hmm. because basically what we see is like, you know, she sort of like realizes or it gets to experience, like, a normal life, a normal connection with another person, you, you know, mm-hmm. normal, as much as she, it can be for her. And, but then eventually she's just like, okay, <laughs> you guys can come do it. Whereas right. I feel like if maybe she was, like, the unwilling participant, then it would have a little more weight of, like, the tragedy of it. Right. Or, Or even, yeah, like, just a moment where she is able to, like, believe that maybe, like you know maybe they got away and and the guys like aren't going to find her and like maybe maybe the connection she has with this guy will be enough for her to forget about you know the fact that she's going to be letting leo down or whatever and then have that moment where it's like just when she thinks she's safe like they're there again um right. and like she they they've always kind of like had the they they never lost track of her they just kind of like gave her enough space to believe that she did and then yeah I don't, but it is yeah there's just a little bit of something maybe it's just that like 72 pages or however long it is isn't enough room to really craft that kind of story yeah and also it is like that the end it's like they show up and you sort of expect it to be like she is like i just need one more day and then it's like no <laughs> we're doing yeah. it now and so i yeah. feel like the lack of having that like last moment of of like you know, those last moments that they spend together knowing that it's like imminently happening. We never really get that sort of dramatic tension, which I feel like is always an effective sort of situation to put someone in. Yep. We just get like, it's over. Yep. Speaking of the length, the price tag on this, boy, it was quite galling to me <laughs> at the time. It is like 75. Four seventy-six. It's under eighty pages, mm-hmm. and the price tag on this puppy is seventeen ninety-nine US. Yeah, that is a tough pill. I gotta <laughs> say, not sure who's who's setting the prices on these, but especially because like the the like image thing now this isn't a first volume but their whole thing is that they will almost always price the first volume like the first trade of a series at $10 and that's usually like six full issues worth of content this right. is like three and a half and <laughs> anyways all this to say they, they, they switched at this point like this is such a big success for them that they switched to like smaller original graphic novels for a lot of stuff going forward the pulp stuff the reckless stuff is all in this kind of similar sort of format. But like all the reckless it, they, trades are like 144 pages. They are, yeah, they're they're much longer. But they also spark a bit of a trend where like Matt Fraction shortly after this did a like four volume story called November where it was like 1999 for 64 page like hardcovers and I was just like if this is the direction <laughs> that the industry is headed where I have to pay like $20 a canadian basically for like three issues worth of material like (laughs) i can't do it guys i'm already like in the trade game so that i can make this like financially viable right if this is like the trend that the industry is heading i just don't know if i can do it and thankfully that has kind of gone they've they've softened on that and like the reckless trades are a little bit closer to like standard trade size and i haven't seen one of those like sub 100 page uh trades in quite a while now but uh, whew, they had me sweating for a minute there <laughs> sure it is it's an interesting length like i don't i guess it is equivalent to like an arc or like like what they like to do sort of a 230 page comic arc uh which they've done a few times over the course of uh, criminal but mm-hmm. it is kind of strange to me that it's like this is really like the format that's drawing me in yeah yeah uh, yeah i don't know it's uh it's it's like the worst of both worlds in some way yeah exactly (laughs) that's a good way to put it but let's move on shall we to uh, the criminal 2019 series which is basically like two stories and then a couple of other one-offs yeah why don't why don't we start with bad night Bad Um, weekend bad weekend right well i figured we could just quickly one. talk about the the solo issues uh which ones are those again so there's the t lawless one where he goes yeah, to his friend's I saw, that funeral one, i see so that, that one's one kind as, of yeah that's yeah in that's the cruel like summer cruel summer like prologue in the cruel summer trade he does uh, actually they they include that issue as well right so there's that one. There's bad weekend, and then the other standalone. So I guess there's really only one standalone, which is uh, this one with Ricky, and that's also a Ricky Law story. So I guess it's only barely related, where it's like Ricky Jen. It's almost like uh, *Cruel Summer* epilogue. It's is this like the, like one, Ricky, the one the like, one where they're playing D2D? Leo. No, it's Ricky Jen and Leo oh oh like he this says is when, when they're like college the age yeah right 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 the night callers i believe this one is called i believe it's or- called orphans? orphans actually yes that's right that's right that's right um which is just sort of like a, a standalone ricky and leo story and yeah. could i guess so, sort of be put as an epilogue to cruel summer because there's a part where like he sees the ghost of teague and stuff like that yeah and and he talks about how their relationship has been like kind of soured. Yeah, that's that is an interesting one where Bru Baker was again basically like this is inspired by like a crazy bender I went on with my friend. <laughs> um and talks about how like we too thought that because we were so high on speed like the doors of perception were opening in our minds and we were seeing like ghosts tell us about their (laughs) like the manner of their death but uh it turned out we were just extremely high right um which is basically what happens yeah it is it is a bit of an epilogue a little stinger where yeah he um or just you know another piece of connective tissue in the whole timeline of the Patterson lawless sort of saga. Mm -hmm. It is, yeah, it has a sort of vibe of, like, not like, and that was the last time they saw each other, but sort of a, like, this is sort of, like, the point at which they, like, stop being friends for good. Right. Um, But, yes, uh, a brief story about uh, Ricky trying to uh, do a favor here. What is it that the guy who he like captures has done he thinks that or he was like tipped off by Sebastian Hyde that this guy was involved in killing Leo's dad in prison I assume I don't right think we that's heard right that that's story right. before no I don't think we had either because yeah they don't they don't ever really talk about it in coward that I can recall just to say that like Leo's dad maybe they do make a reference to like Leo's dad dying in prison or something like that but they must I imagine but I always figured of old age yeah we never really get the full story especially considering how old Ivan it is yeah but so Ricky like lures this guy in on the premise that they're going to do a job together subdues him ties him up um, meets up with Jenny to help try and track down Leo, all the while having these like hallucinations about people from his past. Leo is feeling a bit uh, hostile to him, but uh, is convinced to go see the guy. The guy is already dead. And uh, and Leo basically is like, I didn't ask you to do this. Now you've got this like dead body. This is your problem Um, and walks away. And uh, and Ricky is like, I guess I will now figure out what to do with this dead body (laughs) yeah i guess like i am alone in this world Uh, and so he is until uh his on again off again girlfriend murders him yes and we get an allusion to that in is it issue one where he taught where uh teague calls what's the what's leo's dad's name um tommy yeah tommy patterson he where Teague calls him and is like we should put together a crew that he basically is like, what if we were Parkers? Um, did you make that? Connection well, that's as well? like I did it like that. He says it in number one. Just that he, he in one of the issues, he says something about how like it's like we should become one of those people who like we do one job and then we live in like the Florida Keys the rest of the year. Well, yeah, but that's like what all of Cruel Summer is about right 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 so i guess it's because jane if is the one who that. like talks him into that and she's like i knew this guy who did like three jobs a year and spent the rest of the year in like the bahamas right i just was like that's parker yeah it is it is <laughs> very much uh about uh how teague tries one time to become parker but then he uh is teague so it doesn't go his way right he gets teagued up teague nickel foul <laughs> Sure, that's you me, the, the real <laughs> Sure, you're kind of Jeff Teague. Um, uh, I prefer to think of myself as a Al Scorford type. Sure, uh, you love to run the play. <laughs> I do love to run the play, the pick and pop. I like the pick and pop. Um, anyways, before we get too far into <laughs> oh <my> a <laughs> performance of basketball <laughs> by Curtis Blow. Let us move on to Cruel Summer, which we're already kind of talking no, big about. Weekend, big weekend, big weekend. Or do you weekend, want to do Cruel Summer first? Bad weekend. <laughs> it's because it's because with bad night, I think of big night, right? And so and so with bad weekend, you think of big weekend, right? Weekend at Biggies. Yes, weekend at Biggies. Um, <laughs> the comics issue to be sure. This yeah, one, it really is. <laughs> Um, I kind of liked this one. This one, to me, feels a bit more like a... um, It's like an Elmore Leonard, I guess I would even go so far as to say, in terms of the, like, you know, hapless fool, kind of, like, stumbles his way into a score, quote-unquote, and then kind of, like, enlists this criminal who is a professional criminal, and it, like, kind of doesn't realize how deep into it he's gotten, and then the job kind of like inevitably has to go bad but then because it's like structured around comic con and this like emotional arc for uh jacob kurtz and hal crane it, they like never get to the part where like ricky goes crazy and like kills the guy and they're like what are we gonna do and instead just like go to the eisners <laughs> right i think the thing that i don't really like about this one is just that like i find it kind of exhausting to deal with this misanthropic character in hal crane yes in hal crane and like i you know i never really like that character like the sort of like the serial liar who like will always get other people in trouble basically and also like Hates everyone. It's kind of volatile. Like, that character just doesn't really, like, do anything for me. I'm just like, this guy is annoying. <laughs> um, so, I think that is, like, my biggest problem with it. But I do... I really like the ending. Yeah, the ending is very good. But I think that's about it. Like, all any of the comic stuff, I don't really care about at all. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what the trade adds, I will say, also. Like, I compared the trades and the singles, and... The trade like just adds a couple of scenes at the convention of like he's signing some comics. That's funny Um, that that's the stuff that is like bonus. Yeah, because I guess it has to be anything that doesn't involve him like finding the next stop on his like art search tour. That's that's what must be extra. Right. So yeah, the the idea here is we're also at a funny time. It's like 1997. So and it does like yeah, it is it is very y where it's like it's 1997. They're going to Comic-Con. Don't these idiots know that like the <laughs> comics are dying. Burst. Yeah, don't don't they know that this this image company is never going to make it <laughs> like right within the pages of an image book. Ha ha ha. So, so yes, there is all of that. But Jacob has been called upon by Hal Crane, his old mentor, to basically be his like chaperone at the convention and make sure he goes to all of the stuff that he's supposed to go to. He realizes relatively quickly that Hal is also kind of frantically searching for... Some art pages that he did, but uh, is kind of cagey about which ones specifically he confronts several people throughout the course of the weekend about whether or not they might have the pages, including ultimately um, getting Jacob to enlist Ricky Lawless in like home invasion. He kind of OJs, (laughs) but OJ too. Yeah, a little bit to uh, to try and find these pages. He's not able to do so. And then Ricky in like debriefing kind of accidentally, but not accidentally convinces him that he should go to receive his like lifetime achievement Eisner, which is ostensibly why he is there. So they go together. uh, He gives a very touching speech and then punches (laughs) his old like boss basically in the face causing quite a scene Jacob then sort of like reveals through internal monologue that the pages that he has been looking for are samples that he did to take over his old mentors like serial newspaper comic strip, which was such a betrayal that, um, his mentor attempted like a vehicular murder, suicide, And he has like never published the pages, never allowed them to be published, never took over the strip, but they are like his lost masterpiece. And he drunkenly told Jacob about them one time, has no memory of it. But Jacob took them because uh, Hal told him to burn them and has been hanging on to them this whole time. But Hal doesn't remember that he gave them away and has been trying to find them ever since. Right. That's good stuff. Yeah, I like that stuff. Um, I just I don't really care for the the distance we travel to get there. Yeah, I can uh, I can concur with that. I do uh, like I don't know. I kind of I kind of like how I like a certain kind of like self-destructive uh, writer type, perhaps maybe a bit more patience for that than you have. I think that's right. But, like, like when he when he has the, towards the end, like, the speech about Charles Dickens and Jacob is basically, like, this is, like, his stock, like, speech that he gives every time he gets drunk and, like, starts feeling melancholy. I'm just, like, that's a very, like, kind of lived in feeling character that, like. That's a crazy story. Also, I looked that up. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, the illustrator guy who, like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a crazy story and yep he also it's like charles dickens was like he killed himself i don't know but, uh, <laughs> but he's like he was like he was in his room all night and it's like how did you know that charles dickens <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when he like published the thing that they were collaborating on together he like wrote this whole disclaimer that was like this guy did nothing like he the only things he did were illustrations of the words that I gave him, and he died before it was finished. So, like, he only gets like 2% credit. Um, <laughs> so Charles Dickens maybe murdered this guy, is how I'm feeling. Hmm. The original Stan Lee. Sure, Stan Lee murdered Jack <laughs> Kirby. I'll never tell. Mm. That's why they call um. you a true believer. <laughs> Woo. Um. Yeah, it, it is like, an it's a very big departure for sure. And like, I get why like Jacob has to be the guy in this, but it is also like just hard for me to see him and not be like later that guy allows Frank Kafka to like come loose and murder a bunch of people. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We really hear nothing about that. Uh, well, it's because like this is before. Sure. Like he, he might not his even wife be died. married yet at this point. Yeah. Because it's still, that, that stuff is all still like 10 years away, basically. Right. But it is 1997. Like, when did he get it married is to his wife? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And, well, and he spent that time in the psychiatric hospital, too. So you have to imagine that he must be uh, on the cusp here, at least. And now I'm going to see, do we see his left hand? And is he wearing a ring? Okay. Um, if you don't have anything more to vamp, add, well, for look me for while that. I... I'm going yeah, to move it's, it's on. It's just it's just a very different mood which I think I can see how that would be jarring obviously as a person who's very into comics I'm like aha media for me right and he does he, he does sort of talk about how it's like I not I'm not really trying to like do a comics metaphor like I don't think mm-hmm. anyone actually like threatened to kill Jerry Conway right I just wanted to like tell a story in this world yeah and it is also like funny that he basically acknowledges like at one point he says like I'm saying all this stuff like you know who Hal Crane is when in fact I'm sure that you don't unless you're like really into comics <laughs> right. um, which is how I feel like <laughs> when I stop myself from like mentioning Alex Toth um, or, or Toth as some people seem to feel it's pronounced mm, I feel like, like the Thunder. I'm, I'm a Toth man myself um, but like yeah, where where I'm like I am not going to talk about how Alex Toth like designed the characters for Johnny Quest right now <laughs> because sure. I know that you have no idea who Alex Toth is and don't care. That that really resonated with me. Sure. Well, he he like made the the Birdman, like Harvey Birdman, original yep. work Space Ghost. Right, exactly um anyways seems cool if you're into it yeah <laughs> but it's also like you have to be you have to be deeper than has a comics podcast deep on- <laughs> <laughs> well like you're a barrier you're, to entry yes i'm more of yeah, a your role in this a- yeah but but it is like a this is the kind of thing where it's like I couldn't find anyone who wanted to hear me talk about Alex Toth, so I started a comics podcast. Right, exactly. Yes, it certainly has that vibe. So, anyways, Bad Weekend. I say Good Weekend. Uh-huh. You say So So Weekend. uh uh-huh. um, Which brings us to Cruel Summer, the opus. Yes. The, the, the so, sort of capstone of this act. Yes. Uh, and, and how much to follow? Don't know. Mm. I feel like in sort of like a a savage sort of criminal writ large, this is like, I I enjoy this arc, but it feels like a long walk to get to something that we already know happens. Yes, I agree. It is like, it is very drawn out. Like it could probably be like six issues instead of 10 issues. Because it is, what, nine issues plus the the issue four, which we're sort of labeling as an epilogue in a way.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, But yes, I agree with you. Uh, So I'll try and summarize this quickly. It centers around this woman, Jane, who is like a femme fatale of a fashion. She was previously like shocked up with this rich guy. The rich guy hires a private investigator to find her because she has like disappeared Um, he finds out that she is now with Teague lawless and we get sort of a bit of her backstory that basically she just like runs a bunch of cons and not the kind that Hal Crane is at. Sure. Uh, and then sort of just ends up together with Jane after she murders Teague's friend. (laughs) Um, and they basically like fall in love or at least Teague falls in love with her.
1: I think she's
0: in love as well. I think so also. Uh, They sort of start this new life together. Teague, like, kind of turns over a new leaf in a way. Like, he's not quite as brutal as he used to be. Um, As we talked about, he sort of gets into wanting to pull off these big scores. And so they start planning that. But then also, you know, we have Teague's... We have Ricky and Leo and Jacob and Jen, who are their own sort of... uh, have their own sort of things going on. Obviously, Ricky does not take too kindly about there being like a new woman in Teague's life who wants to change things. Um, he's sort of becoming increasingly volatile. He goes and kills with Jane's help, un- unintentionally. Basically, Jane like follows him uh, and discovers that he is going to kill this guy that Ricky knew in juvie who like sexually assaulted him. Is what we were meant to understand. And then, is there anything else before they pull off this job? Well, there's um, a page that I'll be sending screenshots of to everyone I know who plays D&D, where they're playing D&D, and Jacob is DMing, and he's like, what do you do? And Ricky is like, I stabbed the innkeeper with my knife. Right. Um, There's also this weird sort of like standalone story where Leo and Ricky knock over an arcade. (laughs) which is just sort yes. of like speaks to their relationship a little more and doesn't really like have that much to do with the story at large. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Sorry. Well, no, we'll just finish finish the year synopsis. Okay. So the, the ending of the story and then also like they are planning to move or something basically. Well, they're not there. Yeah. So they are, are planning behind. to use. Yeah. They're planning to use their money to become Parker and – Parker's, you know, woman of choice, woman of the hour at any given time and like do the whole like living on the resorts thing under like assumed identities until the money starts running low and then Teague will like do another job. But his like, I guess both of their whole thing is sort of like Parker doesn't have a kid, right? Ricky is <laughs> like, like baggage kind hanging of. around. Yeah. So they're like, hey, you're going to like live with uh, the Pattersons now and we're going to like. Be rich. <laughs> right. And he's like, I don't like that. Um, yeah. So they pull off this job, which is like they knock over this arena. Uh, it's almost a Logan Lucky. Uh, they knock over this arena bit Lucky. while it's holding like this big wrestling event. Uh, the second time we see wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically everything more or less goes to plan. But Teague is sort of like feeling that something is amiss. Um, and then finally, we find out or, you know, we've already sort of know that this is happening. But Ricky helps Faraday, the detective, find Teague and Jane But then Faraday is like kind of crazy and just like basically has sort of sort of has it in his head that he's in love with Jane and wants to, quote unquote, rescue her. Um, and then they sort of he like kidnaps her, basically. He shoots Teague with like a shotgun full of rock salt. Um, And then they like get in this horrific crash and Faraday and Jane both die. And Teague is like completely messed up over it. Mm -hmm. And then Ricky, like, you know, several weeks or whatever after the fact, Ricky confesses to Teague what he has done. Teague is basically, we don't know if he's about to kill him, but that's sort of the sense we get. And then Leo comes in, sees it happening, shoots Teague. uh, And then as we already know from previous editions, Leo or uh, Tommy Patterson is going to take the fall for killing Teague. And Ricky and Leo are going to flee and basically become what they become. And so they do. And so they do. Real, like, jam band vibe to this. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the whole thing, he talks about it a lot of in the letters page, that it's like every issue is from a different perspective. Like, there's a Faraday issue, there's a Teague issue, there's a Jane issue, there's a Ricky issue, there's a Leo issue, mm-hmm. a Jacob issue. Yeah, this is, this is the kind of story that I feel like a year from now, or maybe like six months from now, I'm going to read it again and be like, this is the best criminal story. But right now... Oh. I'm like, this is, this is exactly what happened with me too, for like once upon a time in Hollywood where I saw it and I was like, what was that? <laughs> Why was it so long? Why did all these things that were like barely connected happen? And then like a month later I was like, I can't stop thinking about it. I must see it again. And then proceeded to see it in theaters like five more times Wow! Uh, because I was like, I love this movie apparently. <laughs> And I have like a similar feeling for this one where I'm like, why was it so long? Why did all of these like seemingly disparate things happen? Not because I'm like, they weren't good. I'm just sort of like, like, I guess surprised by like the direction of it all. But I feel like if I read it again with a more like kind of clear sense of what I'm going into, then I'll be able to appreciate all of the character stuff that happens more because I do think that, like, character-wise, this is probably near to the top of what Criminal has to offer. Yeah, I don't know. It it just, to me, it feels a little unfocused. Like, it feels like it's trying to unify all of these different threads. But then it also adds in the character of Jane, who I think is really cool on her own. And it is sort of, like, the first woman, maybe, other than, like, gen, genuine Jen, um, to, like have a little bit of agency here and sort of have her own thing going on. Mm -hmm. That's not just like shacking up with men, although she does do that a lot as well. (laughs) And it's like, I like that character, but it feels like you're just like throwing this grenade into all of these other characters who we know. And so it just becomes too maybe dense for me to really love it that much. Whereas like, I feel like, coward and lawless and the sinners which I think of as like the classic criminal stories I feel like have such a propulsion behind them and maybe it's just that his style has changed and we don't really get that sort of propulsive narrative anymore from these Mm -hmm. books but I didn't find it as like compelling as those books right yeah I do I mean as we kind of talked about at the top think that it's really telling how much like Ricky is in this volume and how absent Tracy is because to me like it just represents a huge shift in like kind of interest for Brew Baker where like when Tracy is in the story it feels more so like it's because he wants to yeah he wants to tell like a stylish crime story he's more interested in that sort of like going into the tropes and living there and like it's, it is the story of it that really is interesting to him. And Tracy is like a fun character for him to use in those situations, but not because he's like necessarily so interesting as much as he is kind of like a type that he's like, well, you got to have a guy like this for a story like this. And so Tracy is going to be my guy like that to tell these stories. Whereas Ricky is so much more, uh, like, I, I don't know how much of this he would have said necessarily, like, ad- originally, like, from the jump or what have you. But over time, Ricky has become such a, like, vessel for, like, his own memories of childhood, yes, whether I his own, right. yeah, or, like, friends or or what have you, that it, it has become a lot more so about the characters than about the story itself. Like, I think the issue where they actually pull the heist is pretty cool. Yeah. But, yeah, it is it is like it's one issue out of like nine or ten or however many we want to kind of classify it. And a lot of the rest of it is like Ricky wandering around feeling lonely and confused and like listening to records and like playing D&D with his friends, even though he's not really that interested in playing D&D with his friends anymore and like you know, kind of coming of age type stuff with the extra element of tragedy where it's, like, we know how this guy's life ends and we also know how this, like, summer ends, basically. The right. summer of his youth in some ways. Mm. Of his discontent or whatever. Yeah, that's the winter, but, uh... <laughs> Same thing. Sure. And I mean, yeah, I think it is really just... My main problem is that it's too long. Because, like, I really like the last two issues... I think the Jane stuff is a good idea that maybe just gets stretched a little too long. Like stretching it into like three or four issues rather than one or two maybe is what does it for me. Because it's like, I feel like it puts in a lot of work to try and make me care about Jane. But at the end of the day, I still don't really care about Jane that much. And it's because it's like, it feels like she is intruding on their story, yeah, I mean, I do think that some of that is because Ricky feels so yes, intruded upon. that is her upon. role in the story as well. And, and I do also wonder how much of what feels like work to get you to care about Jane is actually intended to serve the purpose of getting you to care about Teague. Which, like, I, I don't know, it's it's not that he gets a redemption arc so much, because, of course, ultimately the point of the story is that he gets shot Um, but he is supposed to have kind of like a turn towards that kind of an arc where it's like, oh, he maybe can find some humanity. Yeah. What did I have a point I was making (laughs) Um, (laughs) that I trailed off (laughs) (laughs) that the reason that that this is what Jane's purpose in the story is that like it's doing work to sort of build sympathy. I think for probably both of them. Yeah. Because I do think... Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that she, you know, she is there to kind of, like, insert into the, like, gap that is between them because of their history and then, like, push them further apart in some ways so that the, like, elasticity of their relationship once she's removed, like, you know, brings them crashing back together. Right. Maybe I just need, like the story like i need i guess like the three issue jane pulls a heist story <laughs> before this and right. then it's and then it's like oh i love jane and then i like jane's in the mix right. like it's jane our favorite like con woman fresh off her like latest haul you know as always, like uh you know, she's, she's got a bag full of a bag full of money and uh like a trail of angry men hot on her heels. Right. And like here she comes into center city and who should she like meet there? But T. Lawless, like Yeah, yeah I, I can also, see that. I also don't really just care much for T Lawless. Obviously, he is like a very tragic figure, but he has been centered in a lot of these stories and like spotlighted. And I feel Mm -hmm. like we're supposed to like him more now than we certainly than we did before. And I'm always just like, this guy's an asshole. Like, (laughs) he's a bad dad. Yeah. I was going to ask what you thought about the like semi redemptive kind of trajectory that they put him on here. Because I don't think like I don't necessarily know that we're supposed to like him per se. Yeah, I didn't even really see it. I don't really see the redemptive arc here. Like I kind of see what you're yeah. saying, but it's like he's changing, but it's like, I'm certainly never going to like, I was never in the place that like Teague doesn't deserve to die. Like, right. Yeah. I guess what it's, it is is that, like you want him to be humanized a bit so that when he's happy, you're like, oh, that's good fatigue that he's happy. But I am just like, he doesn't deserve to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> like and, and I do feel like there is that tension in the book too. I mean, part of that is because like we need to see Ricky's perspective on it and understand why he would betray Jane, who is like the only person in his life who seems to care about him right. in some ways. But yeah, like it it never there is no real redemption. It's more so just like Teague has never been happy before. And isn't that sad, but he is happy now, but I'm also kind of like, I mean, it is sad that he's never been happy, but like also there's a bit of a feeling that he's like made his bed at this point. Yeah. Like it's, it's way too late. And like his whole reputation as this again, kind of like boogeyman figure throughout so many of the other stories yeah, and I like hating I'm, I'm, his kids it's the other because like no, he loves his kids so much it hurts. <laughs> sure, because it's like I, at this point, like we certainly we like Tracy. I think everyone can agree on that. And like I, you know, I don't really like Ricky. I don't think, but I can like I certainly feel more sympathy for Ricky. Yeah, and so for it to be like it's Teague the terrible father that like messed up Ricky and <laughs> Tracy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it is like the tragedy like. of Ricky is like, oh, that kid never had a chance. Yeah, he's just and, like but then it's like, But then it's like, look, it's Teague, the guy who made sure that Ricky never had a chance, but he could be happy. <laughs> right. All he has to do is abandon Ricky again. <laughs> he could be happy. So... Yeah, I, again, this kind of like makes me want to go and revisit it again because I do think that Teague is given some space to kind of like be more human than we've ever really seen him, and I, I kind of just like want some more I guess time to maybe ruminate on like what what does it like mean for him to be happy and like yeah it's it is it is like an interesting kind of dynamic to set up. And I do think that like the setup is done really well, especially the first issue in which it's like the first issue is a really good kind of like on ramp for the whole story where we have like Ricky steals this necklace to bail out Teague, but doesn't realize that like he's stealing from a made man. And so now Teague has to like pay everybody back that, that, you know, was affected by Ricky stealing this necklace. And then that like, basically tips him off that one of his friends was kind of secretly already a Parker type. And he's like, Oh, I could have been doing this the whole time. Maybe I'll do that. And so, but, and then like to have like the, you know, the Stephen King esque like he's sitting here counting money. He doesn't have yet, but by the end of the summer, like he's going to get his brains blown out. And, uh, well, it does the whole thing. Like he'll, he'll fall in love for the first time and then he'll be dead. And like his kids' lives will be, forever changed i think that stuff is all like really well laid out but it just is like i guess as like a suspense writer in that way brubaker maybe just doesn't have like the same like the inevitability of it doesn't carry the same kind of dread as like a stephen king type or as we have seen like even even like how they manage it in like Hobtown, like I feel like the dread of the inevitable in those stories carries through more effectively. Maybe that's partly because the story is then broken up by like several unrelated issues. But it feels like the inevitable thing is that Jane is going to die and then Teague getting killed is like a little bit tacked on on top of that. If right. It makes sense. I think you're right. And I don't. Did we know always that we always knew that Leo killed Teague, right? We and knew that, that's like one of the things that the like kind of big climax of Coward in some ways is that he, yeah, he reveals that he is the one who killed Teague, and basically that like that Tommy, the reason that yeah, the thing I'm afraid of is what I'm capable of when I have a gun in my hands, basically. Right, and that's why I'm always so careful to like plan these jobs where I'm never going to be asked to pick up a gun. But uh, but yeah, we never knew anything about like the nature of that per se, just that like Leo's dad went to jail for killing Teague Lawless. Um, Yeah, it just feels more incidental than anything, because like it's like you can still tell that exact same story without having the part where Ricky like betrays Teague. And then like we never really see like the consequence of the betrayal, I guess, is only like something that we already knew was going to happen hmm. Yeah. I mean, one element of it that I do like is that a few times I can't recall if it was in the books or in interviews, but Brubaker basically talked about how like the the image of the like ripple effect of violence that Leo talks about in coward is like one of the things that he's always kind of been interested in. And in some ways it has like informed the structure of the book over time with all these like interrelated characters. A lot of it is about showing like the ripple effect of violence from one story to another or showing the like violence that preceded a story that has already been told and things like that. And I do feel like in some ways as a like prequel to Coward, it's really effective for me because of Coward's like position as the first of the criminal stories. And then to tell the story that is like, here are the like, myriad ripples that set like everything into motion that led to what happens in coward and like shortly thereafter, like that has a certain amount of appeal to me. And I think that like, especially the last issue really achieves something with that. Like when Leo has the gun in his hand and it basically is like Leo has this like a moment where he basically sees like exactly what is going to happen and what is what happens. And then he like chooses to pull the trigger anyways. I feel like if I like read coward and cruel summer back to back, I would be like masterpiece. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I just don't really get that effect, which I feel like I would like to. Mm -hmm. And I do, I do wonder if it is that like, we have consumed so many of the criminal stories between the yeah, two of them. But it is also like I read, you know, I read coward like a week and a half ago or whatever. Right. That's true. <laughs> yep, yeah, that's true. But, um, yeah, I mean, it is like not, not the like inciting event for like every story, because as we've talked about, like last of the innocent is like barely connected. And then of course, like, the gnarly stuff in um, uh, The Dead and the Dying predates most of this stuff, as does some of the other teak stuff that has like come along kind of in between. But I guess like if it's it, I, I want it to kind of have a position as sort of like a grand unifying criminal story, but it doesn't feel like it emphasizes enough or like, I guess, calls back around to be like, remember all of like the ripples that are going to proceed right. from this like. This this moment and as much as like I do think like when Leo kills Teague, it is given like quite a bit of space. And yet it's still I th- like it's almost like we just need more time with Teague because there's something about his like rage that is like. And honestly, maybe I might I might lay this at the feet of Phillips and like maybe just needing a bit like slightly different visual approach to the sequence is not really. I'm just sort of like what I mean, I know from the story what is different about this time. But like if I'm just looking at this panel kind of like void of context, what is different about this instance than like any other time Teak has choked Ricky? which I'm sure has happened like a million times. Like if we take out, if we present that page, like kind of in isolation with no kind of narrative, I just don't like, it's lacking a certain dynamism. I think to me, that makes me feel like this time he's actually going to do it. Like he's, he's actually about to kill Ricky. And so Leo needs to like pull the trigger. Exactly. Like that's, I think that's it is like, it doesn't feel like Leo has no choice. It just feels like he like goes in and sees it. And it's like, bang, he couldn't tackle Teague. He couldn't like <laughs> do, he couldn't like try and intervene in any other way other than shooting Teague in the face. Like, I just don't see that. So maybe it is like, if he's like beating him to a pulp and like, mm-hmm. he tries to intervene, but like he can't, he like literally can't get him off. him because Teague is like so crazed and like in a blood rage. Yeah. That it becomes or, the only choice. Yeah. The other alternative that I think could work, and again, there is some of this in there, but if Leo killing Teague was made more personal for Leo, that's like the other way where I would kind of like accept it, I I guess, more easily. If it was like, it's not just about like, I need to help out Ricky. It's like, I, I hate Teague almost as much as Ricky does. Yeah, and so, like, I'm pulling the trigger for both of us, basically. And and maybe there's, like, an element of me that will always say, like, he was going to kill Ricky. I did it for Ricky. But, like, deep down, I know that, like, I pulled the trigger because I wanted to kill Teague. Right. And considering how many issues we have, like, we do have an issue that's just, like, a Leo and Ricky's relationship issue. But we never really get any of that unless there's stuff I missed in there. No, yeah, it is. It is like a... Like, Teague doesn't seem like he means anything more to Leo than he does to like Jacob or, you know, any of the other kids per se. Right. 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 So yeah, I I do think that there is like, there's, there is something missing for that, like ultimate final climax, whether it is uh, like an emphasis of those ripples or just like some, some tweaks to how the story is told that could maybe give it a bit more freight. But I do think that while it is effective in a lot of ways, there's like there's some meat left on the bones, so to speak. Especially if we're sort of thinking about it as a a capstone criminal story. Like I almost want like the montage where it's like he like pulls the trigger and then we see like we see like moments from cat like we see like Greta dying, Ricky dying, like we see like all the like ripple deaths, mm-hmm. and then like we see like angela with like skip (laughs) crazy name um (laughs) like we literally just see like everything every like act of violence every like moment of pain that can sort of be drawn back to this one moment Mm -hmm. i want to feel that weight more and so maybe like i just literally like want to see it in that way (laughs) which and then like maybe it's like that you know that can be cheesy sometimes too but i feel like especially when it's a well-told story that That Mm -hmm. usually works really well for me to like have it laid out in that way and actually get to like remember, especially when it's something like this, because we're talking about like almost 15 years of comics. I think it would be more effective to be like, oh, there is a lot like more than you would probably think. Yeah, yeah. And and including like some of the ones where, you know, the direct relationship is something that like Leo would never have been able to predict or foresee or what have you, you know, all of the, all of the different varied uh, consequences. Mm -hmm. So, um, but, and then also like, yeah, I mean, part of me does want this to be like a capstone criminal thing, especially knowing that there have not been more criminal comics since then. But um, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's also like what there's, there's not necessarily any indication that this is a capstone criminal thing and you know i think i'm i'm like scanning their letter at the end of number 12 to see if there is anything that they say about it but i'm assuming that they're going to yeah they do say this will certainly not be the end of criminal so
1: but it know, is it's, you know
0: it is a bit of a capstone in the same way that the sinners feels like a capstone yeah it does feel like end of act like 1.5 i guess you might you might say and it does feel like i want yeah i want something that has a bit more closure to it in some ways or long like it's the long it's the longest criminal story there is it's like quite a wide margin yeah 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 and it's also like again it's a classic situation where we spend so much time talking negatively something and we're like it was a mere 7 out of 10. <laughs> it's it's not even a mere 7 out of 10 for me. It's like it's a mere 8.5, right. <laughs> but like it could have been a 10 and and when like so many of the other criminal stories like 8.5 kind of puts you like middle of the pack for for criminal, right. so it is sort of like expectations are higher in some ways. But uh, but yeah, great book. Wish th- we could tweak the ending a bit, but uh, it's one that I look forward to. This was my first time reading these issues. I've I've had them kind of uh, been keeping them dead stock for a special occasion <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> to break them out. So I am eager to like return to these stories that we are talking about in this episode and especially Cruel Summer in the future and see how they hit uh, a second time. Because like I said, Last of the Innocent like went down very differently with several years removed from when I first read it. Right. Okay, shall we rank uh, the storylines? Yeah, let me just open up the Google Doc have, I have something here. I have a list here. So it's our top 10. <laughs> our top 10 criminal stories. Are we just going to start from the bottom as per usual? Please, let's. Okay, my number 10 is Bad Weekend. <laughs> <laughs> my number 10 is The Dead and the Dying. My number 9 is The Dead and the Dying. My number nine is Bad Night. Wow. My number eight is My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies. My number eight is My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies. My number seven is Cruel Summer. My number seven is Wrong Time, Wrong Place. My number six is Wrong Time, Wrong Place. My number six is Bad Weekend. I should note that like after like eight, we get to comics that i would give like an eight out of ten <laughs> right exactly like i don't think there's even bad weekend which is probably the one that i would become closest to being like i didn't enjoy this i still think it's like well made <laughs> like mm-hmm. my number five is the sinners my number five is cruel summer my number four is bad night my number four is the last of the innocent my number three is coward my number 3 is lawless. My number 2 is lawless. My number 2 is coward. My number 1 is the last of the innocent. And my number 1 is the sinners. Wow, you really like I feel like I liked it more than you when we talked about it. <sighs> no, I like the sinners a lot. I thought I said it was my favorite of uh of the ones we had read. I have maybe like did, I have notes on the sinners like I don't think I don't think it's a Perfect. Well, I, this is well, this is even the thing like I was about to say, I don't think it's a 10 out of 10. I'm like, I probably would give it a 10 out of 10. If I was writing it myself, there are things that I would have done differently. And like, there are things that I think, you know, you could you could tweak with the story economy. But when all said and done, I think it's like a pretty, a pretty sleek and um, strong like crime thriller, which is ultimately what I think of like. When I think of criminal, I would say Coward is like kind of the signature criminal story when I think of the book for me personally, just because it is like number one and sets the tone so clearly. And that's kind of why it sits it so high on my list. But when I think of the one where I'm like, it's like it's got the tone, it's got the tropes, it's got the like you know all the what have you yeah i would say the sinners is the one that really stands out for me as kind of being the quintessential what i expect from a criminal story yeah and i feel like my top like last of the innocent lawless coward bad night and the sinners i all feel like are like you know at least nine out of tens for me mm-hmm. yeah bad night i so i have it at nine yeah, and i do feel like low. some of it is just like it's just so weird. So weird. <laughs> and I, yes, I, I think that that's a very reasonable take. I also find it very weird, but I find it very compellingly weird. Like, yeah, it certainly I do, of I do think it's certainly the ones that I consider to be like the great ones. It is certainly the one that I would say is the most flawed. Maybe it's just like grimy in a way that the other ones are not <laughs> in a way that makes me be like like it's Reading like it is pervy. like almost unpleasant in some <laughs> ways. Yeah, that's a good way. That's a good way of putting it, which I mean is like kind of like the point of the book. Right. In some ways it is all like, it is like the pervy story in a lot of ways. Yeah. But I'm just like, what a crazy book. <laughs> yeah. So that will have to, we went long once again to wrap up our coverage. Lots to say of about criminal. criminal. Lots to say, certainly. We will be back next week uh, covering Incognito, the another uh, co-prod, correct? Isn't, it's pretty much almost exclusively, right, from here on out. It's brewbaker Phillips. We have Velvet, which is a non brewbaker Phillips joint, but that is it otherwise. I mean, there are things like we mentioned pulp but that is a brew baker phillips joint <laughs> but we will not be hitting pulp we will also not be hitting friday which is uh brew baker and martin marcos martin because those both only have one trade out pulp might only ever get one trade so who knows maybe we'll do pulp as a like gap episode at some point but those ones are uh, are on the back burner until there's some more material uh, available Right. So yeah, it's it is just velvet with is with uh, his Captain America collaborator right. Steve Epting, and the rest is, uh, Brubaker Phillips all the way because we didn't uh, end up talking about it really at all. But they have inked that uh, that crazy crazy image exclusive deal as a partnership. So they the like terms of that are basically like you they don't, don't have, have to pitch. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't really. We'll, talk, they about don't it, have to we'll pitch. talk about it on another episode in detail. Image will publish anything that they put out um which is interesting. Yeah, we'll talk about like sales numbers another time perhaps too. But I was like I don't know if Criminal is doing what they might hope sales-wise. Right, maybe. I mean it is Number always one, like Yeah, it, it's it's independent, right? So like the thresholds are a lot lower. But criminal number 12 was only 11,500, which is like, you know, that's, that's like number one, where are we at here? Million. It's like in the mid one sixties in terms of like the issues that came out that month. Right. Interesting. At any rate, next week we shall be back covering incognito, which is uh, the incognito six issues and then five issues of incognito bad influence. Awards. I had this pulled up. I got rid of they it. Won. While I was looking at the Continental Op. <laughs> they won uh, for best limited series for Last of the Innocent. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I believe my heroes have always been Junkies. Correct. Won something as well. It won best graphic album new. Right, uh, and then nominated for anything no no other nominations other than that yeah not not to speak of for criminals specifically it's just the two wins (laughs) yeah just just the two wins um there might have been some nominations oh no that's all that's all for later stuff so we'll talk about that stuff when we get to it but um yeah so a celebrated celebrated series the first that we will be covering in a celebrated collaboration, but lots more to say about Brubaker and Phillips going forward. So we can leave it there. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Give us 12 stars. um, If you can, <laughs> if they give you the option, I wouldn't take. I will always take a star if you've got one. Sure. Why not? Um, it's my approach to Mario Kart as well absolutely oh man (laughs) shock dodge with those um (laughs) uh, or if you're in the canon that's also very helpful you can dodge a shot that way definitely got the runs pod on twitter got the runs pod at gmail.com uh listen to high floor low ceiling listen to bevy of bevies you can follow me at c house and jen on twitter uh and as i said next week we will be doing incognito but until then to, to be, be continued, continued.